Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We've certainly come a long way. Um, I think we're just going to keep improving. The more we're together, the more we're talking about football, the more we're... um, Trying to be on the same page, you know, the better it is. And we got a big test this weekend. One of the great teams in the NFL and consistently been one of the great teams for a long time. And we're going to have to go play a great football game. Tom Brady talking about his team and the looming showdown against the New Orleans Saints, who have beaten the Buccaneers twice this year. But, Peter, game one was way back in week one when Tom Brady – I still remember the first shot from that game on the late afternoon window of the first Sunday, and you see Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform for the first time, and even though you've known for months it's going to happen, it was jarring. <laughs> and the whole exp- the whole thing yeah. had to be jarring for him. And they, they gave him a decent game. He scored the first touchdown of the day, a rushing touchdown, and it, it wasn't a blowout by any means. Then they get blown out week nine, and now they get together in what will be game number 18 for Tom Brady with the Buccaneers. The full season has been played. This is now year two. He's He knows this offense. They know him. And the X factor for this one, Peter, Antonio Brown, he's, he's in game speed, game shape, ready to go. And the last time he played the Saints, it was in the Superdome. Well, the last time he played in the Superdome against the Saints because he did face them in Week 9, but in the Superdome for the Steelers, his last game with Pittsburgh, 14 catches, 185 yards, and two touchdowns. So if if Antonio Brown is indeed in game shape, and if he hasn't lost much in two years, that's going to be a potent weapon. So this is just a very different team than the Buccaneers team that the Saints beat twice earlier this year, and it's been a long time since the last time they met. Mike, I'm going to tell you why you are on to something in analyzing this game. Um, and I'm going to take you back to that Super Bowl um, when he, when Tom Brady engineered the 28-3 comeback uh, to beat the Atlanta Falcons in overtime. And a week after that game, I sat with Tom Brady for, I don't know, 90 minutes or so um, in, in Montana of all places. And I asked him flat out, I said, some of your throws in overtime were just fabulous because what he did in overtime and late in the fourth quarter if you remember remember this this uh you know absolute run-of-the-mill receiver they had that year named Chris Hogan okay and he threw these back shoulder passes to Chris Hogan like everybody on the Falcons kept running Chris Hogan stopped turned around and came back for the ball on three separate passes late in that game And I asked Tom Brady specifically, I said, you and Chris Hogan, basically, how about Chris Hogan winning this game and are are really helping to win this game? It looked like you two guys were the only people in the stadium who knew what you were about to do. And he said to me the following words, Peter, 122 practices. So when you hear this little cliche fest or what you think is a cliche fest, at the soundbite that we just played at the top of this hour. Well, you know, you know, we're, we're getting better together. We get better every day, all that stuff. 
That's not a cliche to Tom Brady. He believes that in his heart that he is going to be better on, on Sunday in this game because of all the practice time he's had with Scotty Miller, you know, with Chris Godwin, with Mike Evans, with Antonio Brown, with Cameron Brait. He's going to be better and they're going to be better. So I do think it's a different team on Sunday that the Saints are going to have to beat. And I think the fact that the Saints won the first two games put so much more pressure on them. And that second one came so easily. You know, it reminded me a lot of what happened with the Browns and the Steelers on Sunday night where just it's just an avalanche. And before you know it, the game's over. If it doesn't go easily for the Saints early on, if they find themselves in a real fight, you know, that, that's 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 going to make them a little shaky. And, and the Saints are the team that has had the heartbreaking loss in the postseason, Peter, three straight years now. And I don't care what anyone says. You are going to have coaches, players, trainers, everyone thinking or trying not to think, but having this nagging sense somewhere in their souls. Here it comes. Here it comes. It's going to happen again. Some way, somehow, it's going to happen again. And, yeah, I think this is the worst possible time to get the Buccaneers with Tom Brady because they've had so much time together. And the method to the madness from Bruce Arians earlier this year when he's calling guys like Tom Brady out, well, what does it do? It pushes them to get better, and they've gotten better, and they've hit their stride. Coming out of their bye week, they've been great. And But for that first half when they were shut out by the Falcons, well, they still turned it around and kicked their butts, so it was a positive but they, they've been great, and they're going to be very, very tough to beat on Sunday night, even though the Saints have beaten them twice before. Drew Brees turns 42 today. Happy birthday, Drew Brees. And look, I, you know, no one expects Tom Brady to retire after this season, but that's the other element that adds to this game for the Saints. This may be it for Drew Brees, and I think people on the sideline, people in the locker room, they're going to be very aware of that, and I don't know if that's a positive or a negative that a loss means – that's it for Drew. Here's the thing, Mike. You know, Drew Brees, 15 years in New Orleans. When he landed in New Orleans to sign his contract and was taken from the airport to the Saints facility, he passed uh, all sorts of gigantic refuse in the road, cars up on blocks. Uh, the, the city was a ruined city. That spring, the mayor of New Orleans, when I was in there to do a story on the Saints before they drafted Reggie Bush, the day that I I was there, for a couple of days I, I was there, one day, President Bush came into the city to the Lower Ninth Ward, and Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis were there, and it was all about the rebuilding of a city. And, you know, Loomis and, and Bush and Peyton were together. We got to get this done. The mayor was there. So the mayor, Ray Nagin, says to me that day, he says, I just hope that the Saints can stay here for one more year at least so we can get on our feet. And do you know why they've been there and why now they are a rock-solid franchise in the city of New Orleans? They're there in an overriding way because of the contributions of Drew Brees. Now, there's a lot of people. You know, Loomis has built this, you know, the foundation of the franchise. Peyton has been such a great coach. They've had great players. But I would say the one guy who's done this, who's most responsible, is the great play of Drew Brees. And Mike, I know this. If Drew Brees retires at the end of this year, which we all assume that he will, he is not going to want his last game ever in the city that he helped rebuild, in the city that if he ran for mayor, he would win unanimously, in the city that is his adopted city that he's raised his kids in for half of every year, you know, for the last decade plus, he is not going to want his last game in the Superdome to be a loss. What does that mean? I think it means something. I don't know how much it'll mean, especially because the guy on the other side is named Tom Brady. But I do think it's meaningful. I think it means we're going to have one hell of a game on Sunday night. That's what it means. Because something's got to give here. They both can't advance. And it's either going to be 
an extremely disappointing end to Tom Brady's first season with the team other than the Patriots. And it's hard to say getting to the final eight is disappointing, but this guy's always driven to get to the top of the mountain. And we've seen it so many times. For crying out loud, he's played nine Super Bowls in 20 years. But it's going to be, whatever the aftermath, it's going to be uh, more devastating than the usual playoff loss. And the usual playoff loss at this level is devastating. But, you know, the thing is, the Saints have been there and done that and seen that and lived that. And can they overcome that? Minneapolis Miracle, the anniversary was three years ago yesterday. The debacle in the NFC Championship game with the non-call of pass interference from two years ago in the Superdome. Last year in the Superdome, the loss to the Vikings in overtime with the the subtle but very obvious push by Kyle Rudolph to secure the game-winning touchdown, uncalled offensive pass interference. Uh, man, it's, you know, look, they got their Super Bowl win, even though it was a long time ago. They desperately would love to get another one. But, uh, you, you know, I, I, I had thought going into the playoffs that the Buccaneers' path to the Super Bowl was easiest if they could avoid the Saints. I'm now thinking maybe the Saints' path to the Super Bowl would be the easiest if they could avoid the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, Mike, we both made great arguments in the last seven minutes about why you don't want to play both teams right now. The Bucs, because Brady now having gotten to know all the receivers on this team, him got, you know, very interesting. I was talking to somebody in the Bucs organization two days ago and said hey, what do you think? And just opening a conversation. He goes, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. And in the first game of this season, I can tell you, and this is not, I'm not kidding around. You still had some guys, his receivers, who were in awe of Tom Brady, who really couldn't believe that Tom Brady was their quarterback. We have no explanation for the second game. You know, the 38-3 to loss, it was a total abomination. Nothing. But now... Everybody on this team doesn't look at Tom Brady as a trophy. They look at him as a teammate. And so that's just another way to suggest that I just, I just, how do you not call this the game of the weekend? I mean, it's just, I think it's just an absolutely tremendous, uh, it's tremendous theater and it's going to be tremendous football. And that array of weapons, just incredible to think what he came from in New England and what he has between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Rob Gronkowski, for crying out loud, Cameron Brake to, to, to be that guy that no one's paying attention to because they're, they're so focused yeah. on everyone else. He'll get you if he gets a chance. And then the running game, Leonard Fournette stepped up last week when Ronald Jones re-injured his quad in pregame warmups. It's it's uh, and the offensive line. That's the other thing too, Peter. You know the Saints have a great defense. They got a great pass rush, but that offensive line was so good against the Washington Murderers Row. They give Tom Brady time to throw the ball down the field. We had the numbers earlier this week. He was twenty-two of forty against the Washington Football Team. He averaged over seventeen yards per completion. And nine and a half per attempt, even though he completed almost only half of his passes, he still averaged nine and a half yards per attempt. He's getting the time to get the ball down the field. And and that's really going to matter this week because obviously the Saints are really going to try to pressure him. They've got a very physical secondary. And so this is, it's going to be a great test for Brady. But Mike, you mentioned at the beginning of your first uh, statement about this game, you talked about Antonio Brown. And look, Antonio Brown has not done one thing all, all season since he joined this team. Now, been, he got charged with that weird uh, you know, thing at his condo complex uh, around Hollywood, uh, which is on the other side of the state. But that wasn't when he was with the Bucks, And I've, I've been told that he has been beyond a model citizen. And it is all because it's like Brady's his dad. And Brady's basically told him, look, I don't, I don't know the exact words, but I'm sure that Brady has told him, look, this is it. It's a last chance saloon, buddy. This is your, you know, if, if, you know, if you're going to have somebody like me stick up for you, 
you know, and, and come into a place, if you somehow, some way mess this up, you'll never have another chance again. And I think he knows it. And I think, Mike, don't underestimate what his best behavior is saying to the league office. It's saying that I have drawn a line of demarcation in my life. I am not that guy anymore. I am not the Pittsburgh guy anymore. I'm not the Oakland guy anymore. I've made a new life for myself, so do not kick me out of this game. You know, I, I, I honestly believe that he's using this to show the NFL, I can be a good guy. Just look at me. And, and so I think he's been managed well by the Bucks, and I think he's been managed well by Tom Brady. And he also has reached the point where he realizes uh, that he has, he's got two strikes on him and uh, he's got a great pitcher on the mound. He can't screw up again. And it's interesting to see what next year will bring to Chris Godwin due to become a free agent. It could be Mike Evans and Antonio Brown as the primary receivers next year when Tom Brady inevitably is back in Tampa Bay for a second season. All right, let's pivot to the other NFC game, six-seeded Rams at the top seed Green Bay Packers. Here is Aaron Donald, the great Rams defensive tackle, on facing the other great Aaron in the game, quarterback Aaron Rodgers. A great quarterback that's playing lights out this year, um, making some great throws, making some good decisions. Obviously, um, he can do things with his feet. You know, not the fastest guy, but he can move. Um, he can get away from you, make things happen. You know, so we got to do a great job as far as um, bottling him up, getting pressure on him. You know, not making him making a, you know, having letting him have a clean pocket to the point where you know he can make all them great throws. So, um, you know, we got a challenge. You know, but you know that's what you expect in the playoff game. Aaron Donald is carved out of granite. I mean, I see him talking. I want to go run and hide. My God. I would, how does anybody block him? <laughs> hey, you know, in talking to uh, in talking to the defensive coordinator, uh, Brandon Staley, for my podcast this week, told me a great Aaron Donald story. He, 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 he said that at Tampa, he called a defense that had Aaron Donald basically playing contained you know, and making sure that, you know, Brady didn't do X on a specific uh, pass drop. And so at the end of that play, Brady converted it into a first down. And at the end of that series, Donald went to the sidelines, puts his arm around Brandon Staley, and he says, hey, let me play. Just let me play. You know, and Staley goes, okay, okay. And so I think one of the reasons that, and this is what I've heard independent of talking to Staley, one of the reasons these players like Brandon Staley is that he is a, he runs a, you know, he doesn't run an autocratic defense. He takes suggestions and not just from the coaches, from the players. When he got there, he told Jalen Ramsey, essentially, hey, listen, I, I want to play you all over the map. I don't want you locking on to DK Metcalf or the best receiver every week. I want to do different things with you. And he said, Coach, I've been waiting a long time to play in the slot. I've always wanted to do that. So I think by Staley saying to these guys, look, we're going to try to play you to your strengths, and we want to know what you want to do, what you like to do, I think that has gotten both Donald, Ramsey, and all these kind of rising stars, young stars, particularly in that secondary, to really like this scheme. And I think, you know, just look at this. I mean, it's it's incredible how good the Rams defense has been in a year. Keep this in mind. Keep this in mind, Mike. It's a year when there's no off-season program to get used to and to come into a new defense. And make no mistake, big, big changes in this defense. Because Brandon Staley runs a defense a lot like Vic Fangio's. That's where he was before. And Fangio's is like a unique defense. You know, it changes really a lot week to week. So these players on that defense have to be malleable and have to be willing to change every week. And they are. And that's one of the reasons why those numbers are so good. And it's funny, I think back to last year when Wade Phillips was sort of unceremoniously forced out of L.A., 
And the reaction was, what are you what are you doing? You're taking a step back defensively. You're moving on from Wade Phillips. What are you thinking? Well, they're thinking is we're going to get a guy who's going to take the defense in a different direction and and take it, frankly, to a higher level than it had been. And the shift in this franchise in the last two years is stunning. It's gone from this offensive high wire reincarnation of the greatest showoffs on turf. And now it's this this defense. And the question is, is the offense good enough to to help? the defense get to where it needs to be. And I guess that's the question I'll pose to you now, Peter. We know the defense is great. We know Jalen Ramsey is going to be all over Devontae Adams. And I think it's going to fall to Aaron Jones to try to make something happen in in what is an audition for him for other teams as he becomes a free agent if the Packers don't keep him. But can the Rams offense do enough against the Packers defense for it for it all to make a, uh, any any difference when it comes to whether or not the Rams can pull off the upset? That's the big question. You know, can golf make enough plays? You know, I talked to golf last week after uh, that huge win in Seattle, and he emphasized to me about seven times, I am not in pain. My thumb is good enough to play. It's not perfect. And yes, when I make some throws, I notice it, but I'm not in pain. Don't make anything. There's no excuses for me if I don't play well enough. And I thought that was good because... It's easy for a guy to say, ah, eh, my thumb's fine. Mike, I can tell you, he came back to it literally three times. You know, he kept saying this, and he said, when you write something, don't write that, you know, how, how bad this is. It's not a big obstacle for me. Those stats on that board right there, to me, and as conservative as Sean McVay played, he wanted his defense to win that game last week because he knew that golf wasn't 100%, and he knew that he hadn't really been playing very well up to that point. And I think you're going to see a similar kind of game. They're going to try to play a 20 to 14 game either way. And they're just hoping that their running game and a limited passing game can complement what I think will be a really tough defense for Green Bay to play against. Remember that Sunday night game the Rams played in Chicago a couple of years ago? And it was cold, but I mean, it wasn't ice bowl conditions. And Jared yeah. Goff looked like he wanted to go crawl under a rock somewhere, right, with a big <laughs> thermos of hot chocolate. I, and it's going to be 32 degrees right around kickoff tomorrow when they play. So this is going to be a test, and this is an opportunity for Jared Goff to prove that that he can thrive under these kinds of conditions. There are some in the media, I'm told, who will derisively refer to Jared Goff as Jared Country Club Goff. This is his chance this is his opportunity. And there's some tension there, Peter, between McVeigh and Goff right now. I don't know how closely you've been there following There seems to this, be, yeah. But there's definitely tension. They're still cleaning up the mess from last week over John Wolford starting when Jared Goff was adamant, as he told you, I'm not in pain, my thumb is fine. Sims believes that there's a fascination by McVeigh with John Wolford because McVeigh may think Walford can run the offense a little bit better than Goff does. And I keep coming back to why'd they give the guy $33.5 million a year in new money if that's the case? But this is something that 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 could build in LA. And all of a sudden, the Chargers have the far better quarterback in Justin Herbert. And you can't help but wonder whether or not Sean McVeigh is doing what his mentor John Gruden would do, which is have the wandering eye for a better quarterback. And maybe he's found one in his own building. Uh, you never know. I don't think he's seen enough of Wolford to really know that. And, you know, you'd have liked Wolford to play a little bit better against Arizona, really. He was okay, but was he, he, he wasn't Jalen Hurts in his first two games. Let's just say that. And so I, I kind of look at this and say, I got my eye on this. I think it's interesting. And there's no question that, look, you, you can, all you have to do is look at the numbers, look at the stats, at how golf played, you know, in the last six to eight weeks and, and, and you know, the, the inconsistency. And it doesn't, there's, you don't even have to have an inside source. You can just tell <laughs> that Sean McVay is not happy with the way his offense played in the last half of the season. And if it continues, he's probably not going to stand for it. What does that mean? I don't know. But you can be sure. It's like, Mike, remember when the Carson Wentz thing happened 
And everybody was talking about how, oh boy, Carson Wentz is ticked off. He's this. And Bucky, Brick, Bucky Brooks of, uh, of NFL.com came out and he basically said, you know, uh, Carson Wentz basically has got to settle down. When you're named a starting quarterback, it is not a lifetime appointment. <laughs> you got to perform. And it'll be the same thing with golf if this continues, I think, into next season. Yeah, and, and I've looked at that contract before, and uh, they're, they're, they're joined at the hip for a couple more years unless they find a trade partner. Yeah. And unlike the Eagles, who have a chance to find a trade partner in the Colts, I don't think anybody, all due respect, is trading for Jared Goff and that contract because I think most people look at that contract and they look at the player and they say, what what the hell were the Rams thinking? All right, let's take the a only break. way you Speed. do it, Mike, is if the only way you do it is if the cap goes way way up, and yes. all of a sudden that contract doesn't seem so horrible, and fifteen quarterbacks pass them in the next year. But That's otherwise, point. I totally agree with you. Yeah. All right, speed round is next. Plenty of offensive changes around the NFL. We're going to get through as many as we can. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The latest episode of Sports Uncovered tells the story of Gail Searins, the first woman to call play-by-play for an NFL game. You can see that wherever you get your podcasts. Now, it's time for today's speed round, brought to you by Verizon 5G built right. All right, let's get to it, Peter. And there's trouble brewing in Seattle, not just coffee. And I didn't mean that, but I'll take it. Let's hear from Russell Wilson (laughs) speaking to the media yesterday about the fact that Brian Schottenheimer is out and a still-to-be-determined offensive coordinator will be in. Here's Russ. You know, it's super important. You know, I think that uh, Coach Carroll and I, you know, we have to be on the same, you know, uh, same wavelength. We've we've been, you know, able to talk, obviously, over the past three days, Coach Carroll and I. Um, you know, about a lot of different things and everything else and really trying to figure out, okay, you know, how far can we go? Where are we going? What's the plan? And, and then all that stuff. And so I think a lot of it, um, you know, for me and coach to be able to hopefully be able to partner on the thought process of the next person and really that person really being able to help impact this football team, this organization, and really um, be a great coach for us and help us lead us, lead us to uh, help be a part of leading us to the promised land, obviously. Look, Russell Wilson can smile all he wants, but the words say it all. Russell Wilson did not want Brian Schottenheimer to be fired. Russell Wilson does not want to go back to ground and pound and legion of boom. Russell Wilson wants to showcase his skills, and it was happening this year until it wasn't because Brian Schottenheimer didn't pivot once defenses figured out the let Russ cook anti-recipe. Russell Wilson wants to earn his money. Russell Wilson wants to throw it around like Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen, 
He doesn't want to be a guy who hands it off and runs it and throws play action. He, he wants to be one of the marquee quarterbacks in the NFL. And, Peter, they're paying him $35 million a year, and his contract's going to be up after three more seasons. He's going to want market value then. If they're not using him, why would they pay him market value? Why would he want to stay? I'm telling you, if they don't hire a coordinator that gets the most out of his talents, this thing is moving toward Russell Wilson going somewhere else. I don't know. I mean, the way I sort of look at this situation in Seattle is that, you know, this team was a totally different team down the stretch of this season. You know, they struggled mightily to score in the last four weeks. And my feeling is that it, even though this is a good run-blocking offensive line, John Schneider's got to go to work and find you know, pass protectors on this offensive line, uh, it, it, you know, because Russell Wilson just was so incredible. He was chased down uh, the last month of this season, more so than, you know, look, I don't know what the quarterback pressures were. I know every time they play the Rams, he gets pressured out the wazoo. And my feeling, I think that Russell Wilson long-term really is going to need a better pass blocking line if they're going to maximize his skills. So that, to me, is as important as who they hire as offensive coordinator. They've never had a good pass blocking line, and they just extended the never. guy who's responsible for getting the players. I'm, look, and I'm having a little fun here with John Schneider. Obviously, he's done a great job, and one of the best things he did was find Russell Wilson with a third-round draft pick in 2012. But I can't help but wonder, Peter, whether or not at some level John Schneider is longing for the days of having a quarterback under a rookie contract and not under a top-of-the-market deal because when did they go to the Super Bowl? When did they go? When Russell Wilson was operating under his rookie contract, that's when they went two straight years when Russell Wilson was in year two and three of his initial deal. And since then, it's hard to put a team around him when he's making first, it was, you know, it was low twenties. Now it's 35. And when he's up again, it's going to be 45 to 50. My point is this. If you aren't getting the most out of him, and if Pete Carroll wants to run the ball, run the ball, and he said it this week, we need to run better, we need to run more. If he wants to have a run-based offense and a great defense, if this is old-school Pete Carroll, Bud Grant, his mentor, I, you can't justify paying Russell Wilson huge money. And look, this is something Sims and I were talking about yesterday. Sims had heard the rumors before the 2018 draft that the Seahawks were toying with the idea of offering Russell Wilson to the Browns for the first overall pick. The, the Seahawks thinking about getting Josh Allen. What a different team that would be. What a different world that would be. But you just, I, I will not rule out the possibility. When the quarterback is openly talking about how he wants to be involved in selecting the next offensive coordinator, that is a message to the team. And if they ignore it, they're going to have a problem. You know, this team ran like 39, 40% of the snaps this year. And if you were rushing for 4.8 a carry, which they were, and I'm Pete Carroll, and I see my quarterback running for his life, it's no revolutionary statement to say I want to run more. Why, why, is, that, why is that so strange? I would, run, I would want to run the ball five times more per game. If I'm running for 4.8 a carry... And if my quarterback, who has been the most sacked quarterback in football since he walked in the league, continues to get the tar beat out of him every week. So, I, I mean, I don't think, not only do I not think it's a revolutionary statement, I think it is a smart statement. And I think this team would be much better off if they were 45 to 55 run-pass ratio uh, rather than being, you know, 40-60 or 39-61. I, I, I say the exact same thing. I mean, look, I don't know what the future of Russell Wilson is. He's not going anywhere right now. I doubt he's going anywhere at any time. But I think that, you know, I, I, I go on and I say, if anything, Russell Wilson is underrated. And I say that because he started every game since he walked on campus being picked in the draft five spots after a punter. And he's never not started a game for Seattle since that day. And, you know, they haven't had a losing season since he's been there. To me, I think this is about a better supporting cast, particularly up front.
I'm going to call my shot and say he'll be gone by 2025, and I'll put the finest bottle of Mad Dog on it, Peter, if you want to take that wager. I'll, I'll take it, but I mean, look, I, I have no idea who, I, I'm not, how do I know I'm going to be alive in 2025? Yes, I <laughs> will know, bet you. How what, do you know? I'll, how do you I'll know bet any you of us will be alive in 2025? But, but listen, Mike, listen, Mike, if I win and Russell Wilson is the starter opening day for Seattle in 25 and I'm not here, you have to give Ann King the bottle of Mad Dog. All right. <laughs> Deal. Uh, just make sure Chuck right. doesn't drink it. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's speed through these remaining topics in the speed round. It right. was a great conversation. It was good to get it, delve into these things with the Seahawks. The Steelers, they're not going to have Randy Fickner back as offensive coordinator. Contract not renewed. P- P- Peter, it, it feels like they're kind of edging toward major changes in Pittsburgh. Yes. I think they should be major changes. And I don't just say this because of the last game of the season. I say it because of the last month of the season. You know, this team, look, they keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for James Conner to be this, this super back. Okay, James Conner just can't physically take the toll of being an every down back. He, he's always, there's something always a little bit wrong with him. So, and again, I'm not saying get rid of James Conner, but I'm saying you better get a really good back in there to help him carry the load so it's like a Cleveland situation. But I think the larger question is, you see Ben Roethlisberger with the tear coming down his cheek uh, after the game last Sunday night, and I, I started to think, what is going through Ben's mind? Is this it? Is this my last game ever? And it was unceremonious to say the least, But it doesn't always end well for heroes. And my feeling is the Steelers have to think very seriously of a plodding old quarterback who certainly looks like he'd be better if he was 20 pounds lighter. They have to think about whether they want that quarterback to be their guy going into the 2021 season. And if not, are they going to draft one or are they going to give... you know, give a kind of a shaky, I would say, you know, back up a chance to win the job full time. But I think it's time to think about the future of Ben Roethlisberger. Well, and he's got to think about his future, too. With Fickner gone, new offensive coordinator, do I really want to deal with that again? Who's it going to be? How many changes are too many changes for me to think I've got a chance to win a Super Bowl and walk off into the sunset? And that's what I've got to be thinking of. 2005, Jerome Bettis. Can Ben Roethlisberger pull that off in his last season? If he doesn't believe he can, there's no reason coming back for another season. In Miami, Tua Tonga-Vailoa already been declared the starter for 2021. Last week, GM Chris Greer said it. Three unnamed players told Armando Salguero, the Miami Herald, they're not sold on Tua. Brian Flores, the coach of the team, said yesterday he's excited about the future with Tua. Peter, should he be? There's absolutely no way unless you luck into a trade with Houston for Deshaun Watson. And it would be the luckiest thing that could ever happen to the Miami Dolphins since they picked Dan Marino in 1983 at the end of the first round. Um, they, They have to be excited about Tua. Fifth pick in the draft. Everything is on his shoulders. He needs a regular off-season program, and I don't even know if you're going to get one of those this year. He needs a regular off-season program. He needs to throw to his receivers a lot this summer, and he needs to get on the same page totally with them. And look, in some ways, Tua Tonga-Valoa had what is a very normal rookie year for a highly drafted quarterback. It's just that the comparison to two guys who played like Terry Bradshaw and Dan Fouts, uh, you know, in the, who were picked sandwiching him in the draft this year, you know, obviously that hurts Tagovailoa. And, and so I, but I in no way would want to give up. Now, I would have started, if, if he didn't have COVID, I would have started Fitzpatrick at Miami and at Buffalo in the season closer, but... That's that's neither here nor there now. I definitely give Tua a, a, a real shot in 2021 and don't even think about doing anything else. But I agree with you. If they have an opportunity to get Deshaun Watson, you take that and you run with it if that's how no, the dominoes no, fall no, in Houston. Yeah. 
All right, Colts general manager Chris Ballard has indicated that they'll talk to Phillip Rivers in a month or so about what he's thinking. He points out there's a difference between drafting a quarterback and drafting the right quarterback. Look, and you need the right quarterback. You don't just take the next guy that happens to be on the board. You want to be sure that he's the right guy for your team. And the Colts are just, they're they're fascinating. Ever since the retirement of Andrew Luck, it was Jacoby Brissett, and then it wasn't. Now it's Phillip Rivers. Will it still be Phillip Rivers? Can they get Carson Wentz? Who else is out there that they may get? But this is a very good team. There's just kind of cycling through quarterbacks, waiting to find the one that's going to stick, Peter. And I think Ballard's message is we're going to keep going with veterans until we believe that there is a young quarterback that is worth burning that first round pick on or trading up to get a better spot to go get him. We'll just go the veteran route. And this is a new dynamic in the NFL, but I think it's here to stay. A lot of veteran quarterbacks available in free agency as teams realize younger quarterbacks coming into the league better than ever. Offense is adjusting to fit their skills. You can throw them in right away. That creates more veteran options. And I think that's what the Colts are going to keep doing until they find that right guy in the draft. I think there's a couple of things at play here. Number one, the end of the year convinced them that they absolutely unequivocally can win and go far into the playoffs with Phillip Rivers. So that's, that's number one. I think number two, though, is that in setting the bar at $25 million per year for your starting quarterback, you've got a lot of guys on that team who very soon are going to need to be paid. You have to decide if you are going to do $25 million for him or if you're going to do what John Elway did with Peyton Manning before his last year in the NFL. And again, I have no idea if this did something to the long-term relationship with Peyton Manning and John Elway. But remember, Mike, in 2015, Peyton Manning was due 20 million. And Elway went to him and said, I want to lower your contract to 16 million in base salary and make 4 million achievable bonuses, uh, achievable incentives. And I want to go out and sign a guard to make us better. They signed Evan Mathis, didn't really work out. But Peyton Manning had his contract lowered by 20% and he goes on to win a Super Bowl. He makes the money back, but you got to wonder what he really felt about that deep down. Now, what if you are the Indianapolis Colts, you're Chris Ballard, and you say, hey, the cap's probably going down this year. You'll know about that, right, in, in, you know, in, in mid to late February. You'll know what the new cap number is going to be around that time. And so I wonder if the Colts are going to wait till that time to see where it is and then say to Rivers, we can only pay you 20 million this year. And we're going to take then will Philip Rivers, will Philip Rivers say at that time, Mike, will he say, I'm going to start coaching my kids in football now, I'm retiring, or will he say, I'll take the money, or will he say, I'm not signing with you, I'll go somewhere else. And my line of demarcation to play this year is $25 million. I don't know what he'll do, but I do think there's a decision to be made for the Colts. All right, we got to take a break. We have decisions to make in our Friday draft. Show me something divisional round edition. We'll do that next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon. 5G built right. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live heading into Divisional Round Weekend. We do it every Friday during the season, the Show Me Something draft. Who is it that we expect, need, want to step up and do what it takes to help his team, in this case, not just get a win, but advance to a conference championship game? Peter, you get the first pick. Uh, Mike, my first pick in this draft is going to be the Green Bay Packers. Um, I just think right now they are uh, they're playing at home. And all I would want to do is I would want their defense as a collective, as a collective group to show me something. Because they should be able to hold uh, the Los Angeles Rams to 14 or less. And there's no way they think that Aaron Rodgers won't score in the 20s. So to me, show me something. Uh, the Green Bay Packers defense as a whole. 
Now, I would be remiss if I don't point out that Chris Sims pulls this from time to time, and my response is, you can't say the whole team. You got to give us somebody. Give me somebody. Somebody on the defense. Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander. Because here's here's what is going to happen in this game. At some point, at some point, Jared Goff is going to have to throw the ball downfield. And to me, Jair Alexander, he came within this much of me voting for him for all pro. He's the best unknown defensive back in the NFL. And I would say, Jair Alexander, show me something, pick off a ball, help win this game. I'm going to go with Tom Brady because, look, this is what he wanted. This is why he left. This is why he picked the Buccaneers. He could go anywhere he chose. He found a spot where he thought he could go in and compete for a championship right away. He wants to stick it to Bill Belichick. He wants to show he can win without him. Getting to the round of eight, eh. Getting to the final four, eh. And maybe if you get to the Final Four, you punch your ticket to the Super Bowl. And this is Tom Brady rectifying Week 1, rectifying Week 9 when they got rectified by the Saints 38-3. to This is his chance to go into the Superdome, death blow to Drew Brees' career, sorry, but that's part of the motivation, and take your team to the NFC Championship, and it's all going to be on him. It's either going to be he got it done or he didn't get it done. We're not going to be talking about anybody else from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If they win or if they lose, it's all going to be Brady. Show me something, Patrick Mahomes. Last four games he played this year, all under 100 passer rating. And everybody's going to say, well, big deal. Well, Patrick Mahomes, two-thirds of the games in his career, you know, he's been over 100, even going back to, uh, you know, early on in his career. So... It, it means something. It means something that the, the, the Kansas City offense struggled mightily uh, to win against 4-12 and Atlanta in his last game. So he's had 20 days to figure out what is going on. He's been sitting around with Eric Bieniemy, with Andy Reid, with Mike Kafka. They have really tried to figure it out. And this is a brilliant coaching staff. So I think they probably have figured it out. But he's going to have to do it against a young, hungry, Miles Garrett-led defense. Show me something, Patrick Mahomes. Show me something, Devontae Adams, the Packers receiver, likely will be covered extensively, if not exclusively, by Rams cornerback Jalen Ramsey. You got to get open, or if you're not open and Aaron Rodgers tries to thread the needle, you got to make the catch. But the Packers' chances of winning this game will be dramatically enhanced by the ability of Devontae Adams to get open, catch the ball, get some yards after the catch, score a touchdown or two. That's when you know things are going well for the Packers. It's going to hinge offensively on Devontae Adams, Peter. Show me something, Matt Milano. And Mike, I can't say the Buffalo defense, so I'm going to pick out one player. And Matt Milano is sort of your spy guy on the Buffalo defense. And he is the one who has got to avoid being made to look silly by Lamar Jackson when he takes off out of the pocket. It was very interesting watching all of the various uh, uh, TV productions on the ESPN Megacast the other day. Uh, You should have heard Rex Ryan, Keyshawn Johnson, Teddy Bruschi tear apart the Tennessee defense on that long touchdown run uh, by Lamar Jackson. Well, Lamar Jackson is going to do it again uh, at some point. I don't know if it's going to be a touchdown, but he's going to leave the pocket and have some open space. And the Matt Milanos of the world, one of the first draft choices of Sean McDermott when he became the head coach, is going to have to be at the tip of the spear of the Buffalo defense to really make Lamar Jackson feel it when he leaves the pocket. I hate to go back to a game that I've already picked someone from, but I can't ignore the glaring show-me-something sign that is parked over the head of Drew Brees because this may be it (laughs) for Drew Brees, right? You said it earlier in the show. You don't want your career to end with a loss in the Superdome to Tom Brady. You don't want it to go out this way. You want to walk off into the sunset with Super Bowl trophy number two. All these guys that have won, all these quarterbacks with one, Peter, are so obsessed with getting to number two. Think of all the great quarterbacks out there who have won. Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, 
They got one. And what they want more than anything else is two. There's a different there's a different feel to your career when you get two. Breeze is the first battle hall of famer either way, but getting to two is is something that I'm sure he's obsessed with, especially because he's he's so intensely competitive. This is not the way he wants to go out. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the Falcons have made an offer to a potential next coach of the franchise. We'll talk about that when PFT Live resumes right after this. talked earlier in the program about the signs pointing to the Falcons potentially hiring Arthur Smith to be the next head coach of the team. Peter, there's a report from ESPN that the Falcons have offered the job to Arthur Smith. You know, we didn't see a report that the Jaguars offered the job to Urban Meyer or that the Jets had offered the job to Robert Sala. I can't help but wonder whether this is a speak now or forever hold your peace to a job that maybe Arthur Smith would rather have like the Chargers. And frankly, sorry Falcons fans, I'd much rather have the Chargers job than the Falcons job because I'll take Justin Herbert at this point in his career over Matt Ryan at this point in his, along with all the other issues, cap issues, problems, expectations, just that that lingering stink of 28-3. to I'll take the Chargers over the Falcons, and maybe he's trying to, to get them to, 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 to make him an offer too so he can take that one instead. I was told very early in the process that the Atlanta Falcons were not going to be rushed into hiring a coach. And I was told the following, when you see the Falcons offer the coaching job to somebody, both as a general manager and a head coach, that is the person above all who they wanted to hire. So there's no question in my mind, at least, and I think my information is very reliable, that Arthur Smith is far and away the number one guy on their list. Well, let's see if they can get it done. The offer's been made, but it's got to be accepted. Stay tuned all day long at profootballtalk.com for all the latest on that job and the other vacancies and everything else as we move toward the best weekend in in, uh, the NFL season. Give me your winners, Peter. Give me your winners. I'm going to take Green Bay narrowly. I'm going to take Kansas City narrowly. I'm going to take Tampa Bay in an upset. And I'm going to take, it's the last game. Buffalo and Baltimore. Oh, Buffalo. I'm taking Buffalo because I think they'll handle the evening better. We agree on all except the last one. Everybody enjoy the game. See you Monday. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.